Okay, we're gonna take a little time here and go through this particular session dealing with Genesis chapter 3. This, this is the part of the video series where we talk a little bit about Adam and Eve and we talk about the dynamics associated with the fall, with sin, what it means to be a sinner. You'd be surprised by how many people don't know what it means to be a sinner and the, the full ramifications of that. So we'll talk about that and then we'll talk about Genesis 3. Genesis 3 holds, it holds promises, it holds curses that deal with the fall. So we're going to talk about the woman, the child, and the snake. And in Old English, in the King James Bible, it's the woman, the seed, and the serpent. So let's dig into that. Um, a lot of people know about Adam and Eve. If you're following along, then you've already read this. Genesis 1, 2, God creates heaven and earth. Creation takes place. There's a lot of material that you can cover there a lot of teaching, but for the purpose of this study in particular, we're going to be dealing with, lightly dealing with Adam and Eve, and then what the fall meant, and what those ensuing curses, what those meant. So, you'd be, you'd be surprised how it relates to us today, and maybe it'll answer some questions as to why things are the way in your own heart and in my heart, the heart of all mankind. So Adam and Eve, Adam's the first man, Eve is the first woman, she's the mother of all living. And you know the story, they're in the garden, God has placed them there, he's created them. The serpent tempts them, Satan, uh, El Diablo, he tempts them and gets Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree you know, we don't really know what that fruit is. A lot of folks think it's an apple. They get that because of popular art. Most artist renditions are of an apple. But the Bible doesn't say that. It actually says that it was fruit. It was fruit. One possible hint, maybe it was figs. Could have been figs. Why figs? Because they use fig leaves to cover themselves. So. Who knows? Uh, it was not an apple to our knowledge, to the best of our knowledge, at least we can't prove that. So reading the Bible is a big deal because you can pick up a lot of stuff that's actually not in there and think it is in there. Okay, so Adam and Eve are there. Eve eats the fruit, Adam eats the fruit, and that's where we'll pick up. Um, so they're sinners. They have sinned. They have transgressed the word of God. God said, you can eat of all the trees of the garden, but this fruit, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat that fruit. And if you eat of that fruit, then the day that you eat it, you're going to die. You shall surely die. The serpent said that's not true. God knows that if you eat of that fruit, then you'll become 
like one of us. You'll become like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. You shall not surely die. And half-truth interwoven with the lie caused them to eat of the fruit, and that's the story as we know it. Um, and that, by the way, you shall surely die, that's where we get that scripture uh, that the wages of sin is death. The book of Romans, the wages of sin is death. Death passed upon all men for all have sinned. So it comes from Genesis. The day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so spiritual death happened, which does lead to physical death. And sin is a separation from God. It's separation from the presence of God, which was never supposed to happen. Adam communed with God, he talked with God, and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to talk with God. Prayer is reattaching the communication that man was always supposed to have in the garden. And so as you pray and as you walk in the Spirit daily, it's the restoration of that fellowship with God that we're supposed to have with Him. We're supposed to talk to God. You're supposed to talk to God. I'm supposed to talk to God. And yes, he does speak back to us. He'll speak to you in your heart. He'll speak to you through his word. So, so mankind becomes a sinner. Now, what does that mean? There are people who believe that that means, eh, I got some issues. Okay, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, but I'm not really that bad of a guy. I'm not that bad of a girl. So we've kind of diluted the idea of what it means to be a sinner. That, it's a big deal. First of all, it makes us subject to death. It makes us subject to the fallen world that we live in. It makes our first instincts fallen instincts. So we do things we're not supposed to do. We do things that we don't want to do. Sin will push us, control us, and there are folks that wish they could stop living the way that they do, but they can't. They can't control their thoughts. They can't control their actions. Temptation is so powerful. It's so great. And that is because what a sinner is. So let's go to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. And the Bible gives a pretty um, surprising A pretty surprising definition for what a sinner is. First John chapter 3, and let's look at verse 8. First John chapter 3, verse 8, this is what it says. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Verse 10 is where we find it. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. The children of the devil. That's a pretty powerful usage of terminology there and believe it or not there are children of the devil i know a few of them <laughs> actually so do you we all do whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of god neither he that loveth not his brother okay 
<laughs> so there are children of God and there are children of the devil. That's going to come into play here because that's what a sinner is. It is a child of the devil. In sin, subject to death, on our way to hell, and eventually a lake of fire found in the book of Revelation. And this, this is what a sinner is. And so it's why sin is, uh, the Bible says, it so easily besets us. Sin is our default position. Death and fallenness and, and wickedness is our default position. So it's so easy to sin. And it can be challenging to do what's right. But to walk in the Spirit is our calling. And if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And, and we can do that by the power of the Holy Ghost. We can do that by the New Testament dispensation of grace and the, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost in our lives. But that's um, something we'll talk a lot about a little further on down the line. Okay, so they've sinned. They're sinners. Now, God gives this interesting bit of information. He, he, he lays out the curses of Genesis chapter 3. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3. And if you're following along, you can read this. If you've got your headphones in and you're on the elliptical machine or you're walking your dog or whatever, just follow along and we'll read it, okay? Genesis chapter 3. And we'll start at verse 13. You got that? Good. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. Unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Go say, say, here's where God lays out the curses. He curses the serpent. And I'm going to say something here that it's... It, it needs to be said, and I want you to catch it, and we'll come back to it. But he then curses the serpent. He deals with that old serpent. So one case, he's dealing with a reptile. The other case, <clears throat> one verse later, he is dealing with that old serpent, what Revelation calls the dragon. Then he deals with the woman. You're going to have pain in childbirth. Your husband is going to be an authority over you. And then Adam, the ground is cursed for your sake. You're going to eat it in sorrow by the sweat of your face. 
The King James Version did not call it the sweat of your brow. It called it the sweat of your face. As another example of needing to read what's actually in there. The sweat of your face. You'll work and the ground is cursed for your sake. So <clears throat> here's something I want to share with you. He curses the snake. You're going to crawl on, the, on your belly. You're going to eat dust all the days of your life. And then it's like the scripture goes mystical. That's probably not the best word. It goes cosmic. It goes abstract. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. The woman. What woman? Who? What? Eve? And later on, generations would think, Mary? They just grasp it. Whatever woman is, is handy. The woman. And between thy seed, thy seed. He's talking to the snake. So between the snake's seed, so are, are there going to be little snakes running around? And her seed. So the woman's going to have kids, and there's, she's going to be fighting snakes. Or what, what does this mean? It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. And you read that, and you just kind of shake your head and go, man, I don't know what I just read. Does that matter? In verse 16, it goes back to the woman and starts talking about her and then the man. So it seems to level out again. And what people do is they take verse 15, and they just kind of chunk it out the window and say, well, I don't know what that means. That's kind of complicated. The Bible's kind of a difficult book anyway. So, oh, well, move on. Let's, let's keep reading. And to do that would be to miss one of the greatest dynamics in this chapter. This is what they call a messianic verse. This is a verse that foretells that one day there's going to be a seed that comes. A child will be born. That's what the word seed there means. A baby, a child. And it won't just be a child, generically, it will be a he. His heel. Thou shalt bruise his heel. So, so the gender of the child, the sex of the child is known. We know it will be a boy. We know it will be a child. And he's going to crush the head of the serpent. This is a lot more than just something to skate over. This is a messianic prophecy that talks about a deliverer who will come and we would do well to pay attention to it. So my purpose in this particular study is to pull these themes out of the book of Genesis and help bring them to light. So let's talk about the first few elements of this verse. Let me say this, that the companion verse to this is Revelation 12. We're going to go to Revelation 12. So we're jumping from Genesis, and we're going to jump to Revelation. And follow with me, because there's some pretty profound dynamics. Let me say this. Genesis 3.15 is the seed. It's the seed form of this subject. And Revelation 12 is the tree. One contains the potential. It contains the DNA. The other is the full-orbed, full-blown tree. It is this topic in all of its glory. It's the woman, but it's not compacted and condensed into just one sentence, but it's an entire chapter dealing with the woman. We see who that woman is. And we see the serpent, and 
He's not just a serpent. It does call him a serpent, but it also calls him the dragon. And I have a dear friend, a preacher, who uh, he preached on that. He said, he said he's a serpent in Genesis 3.15. He's a dragon, dragon in Revelation 12. Somebody's been feeding that old boy. <laughs> so don't feed the serpent. Anyway. Um, and then we see the seed. We see the child. We see the, the boy that will be born. And there'll be some things that happen in the Bible that maybe didn't make a lot of sense in the past. Maybe you thought they were just part of a story or they were random. They, they lose their randomness when you read it in this context. So let's talk about the woman first. I will put enmity between thee, snake, serpent, devil, between thee and the woman. So the snake is the devil. But who's the woman? Who's the woman? Is it Eve? Does this mean that, um, does this mean that women are going to hate snakes? <laughs> uh, while they're at it, hate spiders and roaches. And my wife hates roaches, particularly flying roaches. Um, women are going to hate creeping things. Is that what this means? No. No, it's not what it means. Is this Eve? Is, is it Mary? You know, Mary's a prominent woman in the Bible. Could this be? And Mary had Jesus. So, oh, that's, obviously that's what it is. And then some people take it so far as to say this is the queen of heaven, um, which is in some people's minds that that's Mary, the queen of heaven. But the Bible never calls Mary that. That is something that's grounded in Catholicism. It's not grounded in the actual word of God. And, and you'll find that it's a lot bigger than Mary. So let's talk about the woman for a moment. And, and to understand that, we need to see her. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And let's read it. Chapter 12 and verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, upon her head. A crown of 12 stars. So let me say this. This is not a literal woman. This is not the queen of heaven. This is something much greater, much more profound than that. I will tell you at the outset here that this is God's people. This is Israel. This, this is God's bride. The one that he is in covenant with. God viewed his people as his woman as his bride. And in the Old Testament, this is Israel, and that's signified by 12. But interestingly, it's also signified by 12 in the New Testament with 12 apostles. And that number 12 is a, is a kind of a, a trait, a characteristic that the covenant people would have. And so this is the Israel of God 
This is God's covenant people. And so it's not just a woman, a specific physical woman that gives birth to Jesus, but it's a people. It's a, it's a covenant people that would bring forth a child. And we know this because she has a crown of 12 stars on her head. She is clothed with the sun and the moon is under her feet. Now this is written in the New Testament. And so this is a picture looking from the end back to the beginning. Um, God is showing the, John the Revelator, and he's showing us that there will be a people that is clothed with the sun. What, what does that mean? Um, clothed with the sun. I mean, that can't be physical because that's not possible physically. And standing on top of the moon, this is a highly visual uh, moment in this eschatological picture, this prophetic metaphor, a lot of symbolism. So it's not no woman could wear the sun, no woman's standing on the moon physically. And, and what this is is a picture of God's covenant people living in the New Testament and standing on the Old Testament. I want you to get that. She's clothed with the sun. That's the greater light. That's the light that rules the day. We are children of the day. We're living in a time of revelation and understanding, a time where God has taken the hidden things and he's revealed those things. Things that were kept secret since the world began have been revealed by the holy prophets and the apostles. The preaching of the word of God is made manifest, so she is clothed with the sun. So this is a covenant people who lives in, walks in, is clothed with the sun, and she's standing on the lesser light that ruled the night, the moon. She's standing on, on, a, on an administration, a covenant administration that was not adequate to bring redemption fully. That's why there was a need for a New Testament. And that's prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament. But she stands on that law. She stands on that lesser light. And we do too. We stand on Deuteronomy 6.4. We stand on Isaiah 53. We stand on every single verse written in that Old Testament. And it is a lesser light, but it is a foundation upon which we stand. And the greater light of the New Testament that sheds light upon this and into our lives, this is the New Testament. So this is a covenant people that is... She wears a crown because she's overcome. So this is an overcoming people, an overcoming bride. And she has the favor of God. She's in covenant with God. She's clothed with New Testament revelation. She stands upon Old Testament foundation. And <clears throat> that's who the woman is. God was so serious about this woman that in the Old Testament, when when Israel would follow after other gods, he viewed it as infidelity. He viewed it as adultery. He called Israel she and her. In, in uh, the book of Hosea, he tells Hosea to go and marry a harlot. Go and marry a woman by the name of Gomer. As Hosea is trying to find out how God feels how can I accurately minister your word to the people? 
How can I know your will and your purpose, oh God? God says, you want to know about me? You want to know how I feel? Go and marry a woman of whoredoms. Go and marry a harlot. Go and marry Gomer. And, and she will be unfaithful to you. And she will stay out all night and then she'll come back to you. And you'll know that she was out being unfaithful. And you are to accept her again, Hosea. Take her back. And you'll have children with her. And you'll have dreams. And you'll have those dreams shattered repeatedly. And then you'll know how I feel. And, then, and he was trying to teach the prophet and teach the people. This is how God feels about a people who are unfaithful to him. The way you would feel about that woman is how God feels about his woman, his bride. And this is also why in the New Testament there's so much marriage terminology. There's the marriage supper of the lamb. There is the bride. There's the bridegroom. There's the midnight cry when the bridegroom is coming. Uh, all of these, these marriage metaphors, the marriage feast, the marriage supper, all of these have to do with a covenant people that is a she. It is a her. So it's not Mary individually. It's not Eve. It's not that all women are going to hate snakes. <laughs> it means that there will be a woman who is in covenant with God, the people of God, and there will be enmity between her, conflict, war between the snake and the woman. So that's who the woman is. That is who the snake is. Let's keep reading here in Revelation 12. <clears throat> Verse 2, And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. So there's your snake. There's the dragon. Somebody said, well, that's not a snake, that's a dragon, that's a different thing. No, no, come on down. Um, come down to verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So the serpent is the dragon. It is that old serpent. So here we have two of the elements of Genesis 3, actually three of them. We have the woman, we have the child, and we have the snake. So this is the blown up, revealed dynamic at the end of the book that was prophesied in seed form in Genesis 3.15. All of this packaged and condensed down into just a few verses. She being with child cried, travailing in birth, pain to be delivered, verse 2. Uh, let's go to verse 4. And his tail, that's the dragon, drew the third part of the stars of heaven. That's where, that's where we get that Satan took a third of the angels with him. That verse right there, he took a third of the angels with him did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. 
And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So remember, remember this is a he. Thou shalt bruise his heel, Genesis 3.15 said. So this is the man-child. This is a he. So let me tell you something that might, it might interest you. Have you ever wondered why Pharaoh killed every baby boy? You ever wondered why Herod killed every baby boy? Didn't kill the girls, killed a boy. One of the reasons is because he knew it would be a he. So the men had a political agenda. Pharaoh doesn't want Israel to rise up in rebellion if there's ever a war, join his enemies, overthrow him. Population control, and some historians believe that he was also appeasing by offering a mass sacrifice, appeasing the gods of the river. Um, Herod is afraid that a king could rise up. He knows that there's a prophecy that a king will come. He's Jewish. He knows what the word of God says. So if I can kill this king, then my position and that of my children will be secured. This is probably even the same spirit that moved upon Saul, an evil spirit that troubled him and why he wants to kill King David. Because each of them had their own selfish motives, limited motives, political motives that are here and they're gone. They're momentary, but remember this isn't just men and their abstractions and their selfishness and their pettiness. There's a dragon who stands in front of the woman. This is a satanic ploy to come against the covenant people of God. So while they have their temporary earthly reasons, there is a satanic reason behind this. And, and there's a devil that knows that there's a he that's coming and he knows that it's a baby. And so he doesn't know when, he doesn't know who, so he moves upon Pharaoh and he just wipes out every baby boy. And he moves upon Herod and he wipes out every baby boy. And he moves on Saul, who thinks he's preserving things for Jonathan, but in that murderous rage, he picks up a javelin and he throws it at David because David is going to be the one who brings forth the seed. It's gonna come through his line. The devil's always wanted to kill the one who would take dominion over him, which is Jesus Christ. The child, the seed. So this is one of the reasons why these mass genocides happened. And I don't care how bad the devil fights, there will always be a Moses. There will always be a Jesus. There will always be a Yochebed. There will always be a Mary that did not fear the king's commandment, but will protect the purpose of God and thank God for people who love God more than their own selves. So, um, this is the woman. I will put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed. So the devil's going to have kids and the woman's going to have kids. So let me talk about the woman's kid for a second. That kid, that child is Jesus Christ. Um, it is Jesus Christ. He is the seed. He is the child. He is what the Hebrews call Ha-Mosheah, or the Messiah. Um, he's the one that 
the sages prophesied. He's the one, the one that kings looked for, the one the patriarchs looked to. And so that's the seed of the woman. But even further than that, Jesus Christ would then give birth to many sons and daughters. And, and I don't mean physically. Jesus doesn't marry. He doesn't procreate in a biological sense. But it does teach that as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. They were born not by blood, nor by the will of man, nor the will of the flesh, but they were born of God. And you'll find that in John chapter 1. That's the new birth. That's the seed of the woman. So whoever is born again is the seed of the woman. That's one, one of the reasons you got to be born again. You have to be born of the water and of the spirit. John chapter 3 teaches us. We'll talk about that in another lesson as well. But for the sake of this study here, that's the seed of the woman. That's the ones who are born of God's covenant people. Born of the water, born of the spirit. That's who they are. So who's the seed of the serpent, the seed of the devil? And the answer will probably surprise you. Um, you say, well, the seed of the devil is probably the really bad people. It's probably murderers and rapists and, and dictators and homicidal people. Some of you might say, well, that's my mother-in-law. <laughs> uh, I can't speak for whoever your enemies are or whoever you want to call the child of the devil. But the child of the devil is actually me. It's you. It's everybody that is born of Adam. When mankind, men and women, when they became sinners, they became children of the devil. So that child of the devil, sir, is you. It's me. It's us before Jesus. It's us B.C., when we're in our flesh, when death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. That's what happened when we were dead in trespasses and sins. The wages of sin is death. So if you are born in Adam, you and I are children of the devil. That's why it's easier to say it wrong. It's easier to do it wrong, think it wrong, live it wrong. Without Jesus Christ, we are we are of all men most miserable. We're lost. We're sinners. And so that word sinner needs to take on its full importance, the weight that it actually carries. It's not a person with issues. It's not the person you happen to be mad at at the moment, your enemy. It's everybody born of Adam that has not entered into the promises of the covenant people of God. So. This means that there will be enmity between the children of God in covenant, born of the woman, the church, spiritually born, and the children of Satan that are born of the flesh. It's a big topic. It's one we'll deal with a little later when we talk about Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau. But that's who the children of the devil and the children of God are, 
1 John 3.10, read it again. In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. That's Bible terminology and, and, and it's, it's helpful to, to really articulate that properly. So I will, put in, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. And now the Bible goes very specific. It stops talking generically. It stops talking generally. And it says, it shall bruise thy head. It, when, when it says it, it specifies. It's not talking about the collective. It's not talking about the sons and daughters that would come. It's talking about the one. The one seed that would come that would have all dominion, that would put down all power, that would rule all nations with a rod of iron. It's the one that the devil hates. It's the one the devil was trying to kill in Egypt, the one the devil was trying to kill uh, at Jesus' birth. It's the one that he fears more than any, and that is Jesus Christ. It is that seed, it shall bruise thy head. Jesus is going to overcome you. God was telling Satan, in Genesis 3, that a boy will be born that will overcome you. And so when the scripture says that he would give us power to tread upon serpents, scorpions, over all the wiles of the enemy, when it tells us that Jesus overcame, <clears throat> he has the key of death and of hell, that he has overcome the world, he's bruising the head He's crushing the head of the serpent. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It's a foreshadowing of Calvary that in Jesus' triumph, he himself would be wounded, he would be bruised. Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions and that he was bruised for our iniquities. It's a, a great Bible promise. It's one that's very dear to our hearts because the wound is an outward infirmity. It's, a, it's an outward wounding. It's open. And so they beat him. They lacerated him and blood flowed outwardly. And transgression is outward. Transgression is, those are actions we do, actions that are out in the open. And, and so Jesus has blood that will cover those transgressions. He has outward blood for outward actions. But our God is so good that he wasn't just wounded, but he was bruised. And specifically, he was bruised for our iniquity. Because iniquity is inside. It's on the in, in, inside of a man, the inside of a woman. It's pain, it's hurt, it's inward sin. It's things that you don't know, that the folks around you don't know are in you. If they knew what was in your heart, they knew what was in my heart, they might not be so friendly at all times. But, but Jesus knows. And he's bruised, which is an inward bleeding. Jesus shed blood on the inside for the inward sins too. And so he uses the word bruised. He was bruised for our iniquities. Thou shalt bruise his head. It shall bruise thy head. Thou shalt bruise his heel. This is a picture of Calvary. If you can see Genesis 3.15 here, 
then you should be able to see Jesus on a cross. You should be able to see where he overcame Satan, he overcame death, he overcame hell. And he overcomes the serpent, gets dominion over him, and then at Pentecost in Acts 2, he transfers that to his people and we receive that same spirit and we get that dominion and we are able. Now we are born of the woman. She has 12 stars on her head. She is clothed with the sun. She's standing on the moon. This is God's covenant people. We too are born of her and we have power over that snake too. So this is a snapshot. Um, Genesis 3.15 to Revelation 12. Now, let me wrap up with another picture and carrying this theme of the woman. Let's, let's turn to Revelation 17 and we're going to read about another woman. We're going to see Something very interesting here. Revelation 17 and verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman. She sat upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, <clears throat> having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold, precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. The angel rebukes him in the next verse for that. And um, because she was beautiful in, in a seductive manner. And here we have another woman. The Bible calls her mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of harlots. She is a harlot. She gives birth to harlots. And in this, we see another revelation. There will be a group of people who masquerade as the covenant people of God. This woman has to have gold, precious stones, and pearls because she's not clothed with the sun or the moon or the stars. There is a cosmic beauty that comes from God. It's a heavenly beauty. It's grace. It's discretion. It's what the Bible calls the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. There's a beauty that only God can give you that comes through the infilling of the Holy Ghost and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and the new nature of Jesus Christ that fills a person's heart. This is a different kind of beauty. This is not a cosmic beauty. It's a cosmetic beauty. It's the desire to be beautiful. It's the desire to be clothed with heaven. But since it's not heaven, you have to put it on. You have to drape it on. You have to wear it and take it off and put it on. And it's a different kind. It's a, it's a seduction rather than, than a true beauty. She is a harlot. She's not faithful to God. She claims to be the woman, but she is not the woman. 
And it tells us pretty plainly who she is. She sits upon a scarlet-colored beast. It has seven heads and ten horns. If you read your Bible prophecy, this is a city that sits on seven hills. Verse 9 tells us this, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, one is, the other is not yet. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. <clears throat> Verse 12, The ten horns are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Do your research on this. You'll find out this is talking about the Roman Empire. This is talking about the, the Caesars, the seven hills, and this woman is sitting there on those seven hills. And there would be a religious system that would come out of Rome. And, and scholars have known it, Protestant scholars have known it, biblical scholars have known it for a long time. It is, eventually, it becomes the Roman Catholic Church. She is drunk with the blood of the saints. She killed, she murdered, she is draped in gold, the wealth of this world. And the popes and the political leaders all throughout history have uh, been intimately involved. And there's your word, fornication. Uh, it's not just in the physical sense, it is in the sense that rather than being in covenant with God, she's in covenant with the powers of the world. She's corrupted them, she herself is corrupted by them, and she masquerades as the woman. She acts like she's the church, she's not the church. And so for all of my atheist friends out there that want to talk about how terrible the church is, I think that you have the wrong woman. I think that you have looked at the woman that masquerades as the real church, and you have every right to be angry, because that's actually not the right woman. God's covenant people don't do the kinds of things that were done to you. She killed the saints. She's drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. This is not the actions of the covenant bride of Christ. This is an imposter. Not only, and this is what I'll close with, not only is she a harlot, but she's the mother of harlots. And this is going to be very strong for a lot of people, but it needs to be said in that she is the mother of harlots, she gives birth to denominations. The denominations that come in the name of Jesus, that fulfill the Matthew 24 prophecy that in the last days many would come saying, here is Christ, or there is Christ, or they come in the name of Christ. Jesus said, don't go with them, for many false prophets will arise and shall deceive many. the daughter of the harlots, the daughters of the harlot. They are like their mother. They trace their lineage back to her. They came out of her. And in that, she was a harlot and she is the mother of harlots. This is the Roman religious system, the Roman Catholic Church, and it is the denominations that trace their lineage back to that Catholic Church. So apostolics, we are actually not part of that. We don't go back to the Catholic Church. We predate the Catholic Church. Or we trace our lineage not back to Nicaea at 325 or any of the creedal councils. We trace our lineage back to the day of Pentecost when, when the Holy Ghost filled the house, when they spoke with other tongues 
and when we were when they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ we were born of that woman that original woman with clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, the crown of 12 stars. And it is significant that there were 12 apostles in that upper room on that day. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, wasn't in outer space floating somewhere as the queen of heaven. She was in there uh, on that, in that upper room and she received the Holy Ghost and she spoke in tongues just like they all did, cloven tongues like as a fire. And she was born of that woman. That's the woman I wanna be part of. And that's the woman of Genesis 3:15 and Revelation 12. Thank you very much for your time and your attention. I can't wait to talk to you next time. God bless you.